Chronicles. David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that served the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, the stewards of all the property and livestock of the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the seasoned warriors. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. But God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader, and in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father, and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. The word of the Lord. As we prepare to hear from God's word, I invite you to bow as I offer one more prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today marks... Uh, the end of a series on the life of King David. We launched into this series in early September, and uh, it's fitting that we end today because this is David's final speech that we're going to be looking at this morning. It's his valedictorian speech, if you will, near the end of his life. And the title of the message today is The Measure of a Life. And I want to begin with this question. Have you ever ask the child what they want to be when they grow up? Yeah? Ever ask the child what they want to be? I've noticed there's different themes with the answers. In my house, we have these answers. I asked my son, Blaze, Blaze, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, Spider-Man. And I said, okay, Blaze. And I tried to, you know, as the years progress, what do you want to be when you, I'm going to be Spider-Man. Anyone have a kid that wants to be a superhero? Yeah? Exactly. How about a superstar? 
We asked, sailor, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an Olympic gold medalist, Daddy. Oh, really? In what sport? Gymnastics. Now, there's only a, a slight problem because giants don't do gymnastics. So we, we kind of had to break it to her like slowly, like, we're giants and not gymnasts, right? <laughs> and, 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 and I said, well, what gymnast do you want to be? Gabby Douglas? Only problem is she's 5'2", and she's destined our daughter to be like eight feet tall, right? So like, thank God she's shifted from that desire. And then, of course, we have our giant, our oldest, Caden, and Growing up, uh, we said, Caden, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, um, basically a successful businessman, uh, an entrepreneur. And, and here's the thing. At, at the time we were asking these questions, I don't know if you guys went through this whole Lego craze. Any parents have to go through this again? You have to take out a second mortgage to buy Legos these days. Look, there's sets. You, for those who grew up just playing with little blocks, that's not how it is anymore. There's maps and sets and they're fancy, like models. So you use Legos and you create these models. Well, Caden would make the Legos, and then he put them up as trophies on a mantle, and then twice a year when the red balloon sale happened on Daniel Island, he would sell them and try to make a profit. And he said, Dad, when I'm older, I'm gonna be a Lego engineer. Never heard a kid say that. It's like, what's that mean? I'm gonna design Lego sets and help sell Lego sets. And then he took it even further, he said, I'm, I'm going to sell my Lego sets at a store I'm going to open that's going to be a rival to Target. Wow. Yeah, what are you going to call it? Upkays for Caden. His name's K-A-D-E-N. Upkays. You know, what was great about Caden's um, like dream is he, he ended up saying to his, his uh, sister and brother, hey, guys, if it doesn't work out where you're a superstar or a, you know, a superhero, you, you can always come work for me at Upkays. <laughs> You can be managers. And he even talked to me separate. He talked to me one-on-one. -on -one. He's like, do you think Blaze would make a good manager? <laughs> this is like when you're seven, Blaze is five. And Blaze like, is like, that sounds like a plan. <laughs> it's interesting because as David gives his final speech, he measures life a little differently. Our passage teaches that in the end, the measure of life is not calculated in greatness, but grace. In the end, the measure of a life is not calculated in greatness, but grace. So David is recalling his life in this speech. He looks back, he looks at the present, and he looks at the future. And, and he basically makes three points about grace. First, grace is born in a heart of humility. Second, it abounds in the context of community. And third, it, it lives on or advances through intimacy and responsibility. So we're just going to spend the next few minutes looking at these points. Point number one, grace is born in a heart of humility. When David rose to speak, he began with these words, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And for the footstool of our God, and I made preparations for building. But God said to me, you may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. 
For he chose Judah's leader, and in the house of Judah, my father's house. And among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel, of the Lord over Israel. So in looking at this passage, I couldn't help but uh, think of modern kings. So when you think of a king in the, in the here and now, who do you think of? What, what face comes to mind? Let's do some audience participation. Who's a king in our culture? King Tut, uh, that's a little ancient. The president of the U.S., Trump, someone said. Others? In the sports arena. LeBron James? Oh, my gosh. Oh. Wow. Not now, Rowan. Not now. Tom Brady. How about, how about this face? Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali. Uh, as I was looking at this passage and, and looking at how David handles his kingship, I remembered uh, when I was a child, I would see this face on TV, and, and he was very flamboyant, Muhammad Ali, one of the greatest fighters of all time. And uh, if you didn't read about it, he'd definitely tell you about it, because here's a quote from him. I'm the greatest thing that's ever lived. I'm the king of the world. I'm a bad man. I'm the prettiest thing that ever lived. That's amazing humility. In fact, as I was uh, sharing what we were talking about earlier, someone came up and they said, you know, there's a story where Muhammad Ali got on a plane and the stewardess said, hey, uh, sir, we need you to buckle your seatbelt. And he said, I don't need to buckle my seatbelt because I'm Superman. And she said, well, Superman doesn't need a plane, so sir, can you please buckle your seat? <laughs> Muhammad Ali was proclaiming, I am the king of the world. I'm the best thing that's ever lived. David takes a very different approach. When David looks back, he doesn't point in, he points up. When David looks back on his life, he doesn't point in or towards himself, he points up to his God. Uh, you know, when David was... Uh, Starting this speech, woo, when David was starting this speech, he references uh, that Judah was selected and his dad's house and family was selected and he was selected. And he's not bragging there. He's actually saying like, we were the least to be chosen, but God chose us. And if you remember in the fall when David was anointed king, this Samuel came to him, this person of the Lord, leader of the Lord, looking for a king from the line of Jesse, okay? And so Jesse presents all of his sons to Samuel. And one by one, seven sons are presented to Samuel. And, and these words were recorded in 1 Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God opposes the proud, but lifts high the humble. And, and Samuel says at that moment, Jesse, are these all your sons? Because the king's not here. 
And Jesse says, well, I actually, I actually have one more son, my youngest son, and he's out tending to the sheep in the fields. And so they bring in David, and as he's approaching, Samuel says, he's the one. And it's actually not because he was so great, it's actually because he was so small, and he's being faithful to the littlest of tasks that his dad, his father, had assigned him, tending to the sheep. And he would be anointed, which means Christos. He would be the anointed one that would risk his life for the sheep as a foreshadowing to the Christ who would give his life for his sheep. And as David is given this valedictorian speech, he's basically saying, I was but a boy, a shepherd boy, but God chose me. David doesn't point in, he points up. Grace is born in a heart of humility. Point number two, grace abounds in the context of community. The passage reads, David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of, the, of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that served the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, the stewards of all the property, etc., etc. And then David rose to his feet and says, Hear me, my brothers and my people. Observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. You see, David recognizes something and he's gushing with gratitude in this moment. He recognizes this truth, that any leader is only as good as the allies and advocates in his or her corner. David would not have been David without Jonathan. Do you remember Jonathan? Jonathan was David's best friend. It says in the scriptures their souls were knit together. They made a covenant together. They had one another's backs. In fact, Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. But he saw the anointing on David, and this one passage recalls him taking off his robe and giving it to David. David wouldn't have been David without Jonathan. Similarly, David would not have been David without Nathan. If he receives the promise of God through Jonathan, he adheres to it through Nathan. Nathan, in 2 Samuel, is the one that has to break the news to David. Hey, God wants to build a temple, but he's not going to do it by you. He's going to do it through you, through one of your heirs. And then as you recall, John the guy that preached here last week, I gave him a real easy passage, right? Um, David is confronted with his sin by whom? Nathan, right? So David would not have been David without Jonathan and Nathan and so many others. It's true for him and it's true for us. And I love how he, he begins his speech. He says, my brothers and my people... That's typically not how a king in those days would begin a speech. And I just imagine him looking over the hundreds, if not thousands assembled, that God has used to build up, to bring together as a united nation. And he knows that grace has flowed not just through him, but through them to him, right? I just want to invite us to stop and pause and look around this room. Grace abounds in the context of community, and you are made for relationship. I am made for relationship. And let's 
apply it here and now. Natalie, my sister. Michael, my brother. I've got your back. Bacon, I got your back. Aaron, I've got your back. Rowan, I've got your back. We've got one another's back. Grace abounds in community. When you take your life away from community, you will wither and die. Isolation is dangerous. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. But David's celebrating, saying, I, ha- I didn't have to do this alone, and none of us are alone. We're doing this together. Point number three, grace then lives on through intimacy and responsibility. And this is where it gets me. He goes from addressing the whole assembly to his son. And he says these words, In you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Some of you have heard me talk about my dad, but a little snapshot of my upbringing. My dad worked so hard. A successful kind of small town business guy. And he worked so hard that often he wasn't around. I barely saw him during the daylight hours. And as you might imagine, it, it, that would wear on a mom, right? And no family's perfect. My family, when my brother entered college, it became clear that he was struggling. And he struggled with a drug addiction. And during the time of the intervention where we sought to get my brother's help, it's the first time I saw my dad cry. Before I saw him cry, I respected him. But once I saw him cry, he grabbed my heart. I saw courageous vulnerability, his love for my brother, and clearly his love for his family, and his love for me. What David is saying is, Solomon, know this God My God, it's such intimate language. Know your father's dad. Know your father's God. What's fascinating about this passage is David's sin and shame would have been known by everyone. David had a man killed, and then he slept with the man's wife. I mean, he was called out. He had to repent. And then the nation of Israel and his own family went through all this division But God can redeem and restore and resurrect lives and families. And here he's standing before his family and before his son. He's like, that God who rescued me, know that God. Know the God of your father. And it begs the question for the parents in the room, are you able to share your story and your struggles with your own kids? and lift high the name of the Lord. It's beautiful because it takes the pressure off David being perfect or even your kid being perfect because God has all of their backs. He's saying, know this God. Draw close to him, trust him, follow him. And then it goes on. He doesn't just say, know him intimately. The language shifts from being relational to being empowering. 
Listen to these words. The Lord has chosen you, Solomon, to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. The various divisions of priests and Levites will serve in the temple of God. Others with skills of every kind will volunteer. And the officials in the entire nation are at your command. He's basically saying, again, with vulnerability, know my God and know that I am not called to take the baton forward. You are. And he's not just doing it privately. He's doing it corporately in front of the whole nation of Israel. And he's saying, we believe in you and we will be with you. All these people will volunteer. This and that. It's so empowering. And it's not just as a parent. He's calling all of Israel to back Solomon in the next generation. So whether you're married or single, you have a role to play here. It's really incredible. So what it, what it boils down to is God is saying, Solomon, I see you and I believe, I believe in you. And he's using David and the nation of Israel. And I want to apply it here now. JM, God sees you and believes in you. Tyler, God sees you and believes in you. Kids in the room, students, God sees you and he believes in you. And we've got your back. That's how grace moves forward. That's how grace advances. He sees you and believes in you. And what's crazy is this is 1 Chronicles 28. You turn the page, 1 Chronicles 29. David then says, hey, Solomon's, literally, Solomon's young and inexperienced, he says. That's why we all need to go all in with him. And then it's the greatest capital campaign the world's ever seen. All these people empty their coffers, bring gold and silver and all, and they build the temple together. What a picture. And let me bridge it from the Old Testament to the New Testament. What is Solomon being charged to do, empowered to do? To build the temple. What are we called to do? Build the church. Listen to the bridge and the parallel language we find in Ephesians 2. You're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, brothers and sisters, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become what? A holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. David says to Solomon, build the temple. God is saying to us, be the church and build the church. That is the new temple. It's a intimidating and beautiful and empowering charge. So to summarize, David looks back in his life and he says, it's not about greatness, but about grace. And so as we kind of close this moment, three things. First, I want to invite us all as we look at our lives, not to point inward, but upward. Let me ask this question. Are you angling for praise yourself or singing God's praise? Do you know the goodness and grace of God in your own life, in your own heart? Can you say, God has been good to me? 
The second thing is, I invite us to share in God's grace. I honestly believe with all of my heart, we're only as good as those around us ultimately. We need one another. We're called to love and lead with one another. And here's the good news. We're doing it, and we're going to do it more and more and more this year, 2019. And last but not least, everyone in this room has a role in advancing the kingdom of God together by investing in the next generation of leaders, young people. We are very intentional about being a multi-generational church. And uh, I just want to celebrate. I don't know if he's in here, and I'm going to really embarrass this guy. There's a young professional who's in the nuclear submarine school named Ben. He's, he's, he's uh, hard to miss because he's like 6'7". Okay? We need help in Diff Kids. You know what he did? He signed up and he served in Diff Kids. Single young professional who's a Navy officer serving our kids back there. That is advancing the gospel. We all have a role to play. Every conversation in these doors, in this community, matters. So let's point to God's grace. Let's share in his grace. And let's advance his grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just rejoice that you give us uh, David as an example of how you call people to rise and then you redeem them when they fall. And we all have a role to play in building your family by building your church. God, may we point upward. And if there's anything that's causing us to not do that, would you bring us to our knees and humble us? David began his life with humility and he ended it with humility. May that be our story and may we share in it and advance it in Jesus' name, amen.